from the Xfinity Studios at WVON. We're your original social media. The Talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON. Good afternoon, WVON family, and thank you for sharing your Sunday with us. This is WVON 1690 and AM, the talk and the top of Chicago. I'm Gina Stralsberg, producer and host of the On the Case show. That's the name of our show now. And my co-host is the wonderful Kent Hunley, publisher of 316 Magazine, and I am editor-in-chief of that uh, 10-year-old magazine. Um, Very proud of that. So you have to forgive my voice. I am getting over a cold, almost over. <clears throat> so forgive me. And uh, WVON call-in number is 312-374-8130. Again, that number is 312-374-8130. Your comments and questions are always welcome. And Kent and I are very appreciative of Dr. Zenobia Sowell. Uh, she's our sponsor of the show and her office is at 1122 North Clark Street, where she has been for several decades. Dr. Sowell has the latest dental equipment, but more important, Dr. Sowell, who is my dentist, doesn't hurt you. And she accepts most dental insurances. To make an appointment, call Dr. Sowell at 312-944-9355. Now, this year is ending with Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. and Father Michael Flager Flager doing all they can do to help the poor with hundreds of toys and clothes, food baskets, and a lot of love. Congratulations again to Reverend Jackson for getting four Cook County Jail detainees out of jail on Christmas Day, two of whom came back yesterday to thank him personally. One of them has a job already, and the other is looking for a job, but he wants to go to school to become a nurse. And I asked him why, and he said because when he was going to church, they used to visit, um, he called them old people's home, and he said he loved taking care of of the elderly. So I thought that was, um, I I knew I saw something in that, that I won't won't call him a child, he's 19 years old, but I saw something, and that something was the foundation that he grown had grown up in and had weighed away. So he had kind of backslid, but I think he's coming back. I'm very proud of those two. Reverend Jackson is speaking at a Kankakee church today, the Morning Star Church, uh, to gather more support for Pembroke, the poorest township in Illinois. He is fighting to get a natural gas line installed in that mostly African-American township that has no Internet, with some still using wood-burning stoves, and guess what? There are some people out there with outdoor toilets. That's outrageous. And if they have outdoor toilets, that means they don't have running water, which means they have to use the well. And I know about priming the well, it's it, but the water is brown. So they really need help. On March 17th, who will you vote for in the Illinois Supreme Court? Now, there are many candidates running for this seat, and we have one of them in the studio, and one is supposed to be on her way, but I will uh, announce that when she comes. Uh, but in the studio, we have Justice P. Scott Neville, Jr., and he's running for a full term after being named to succeed the court's first black justice, Charles Freeman, who retired in June of 2018. Neville won the re- recommendation of the Supreme Court Slating Committee from among seven hopefuls. Um, Justice Neville, thank you for being on on the case. Well, good afternoon to the WVON family, and it's an honor to be here. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, let me just say this, that I grew up in Bronzeville. I have lived in Chicago my entire life. I grew up in Bronzeville. I was nurtured in Bronzeville. I was educated in Bronzeville segregated public schools. I went to Forestville Grammar School and DuSable High School. When I graduated from DuSable, I went on to college and then to law school. And then I became the first African-American 
man to ever clerk for an Illinois appellate court justice. And that's the reason that I make the argument that I've been practicing appellate law for 45 years. For 45 years, I've, I've been an appellate lawyer and judge. And I do want the listeners to understand I am currently sitting on the Illinois Supreme Court, and I've been on the Supreme Court for the last 18 months. Tell us more about yourself. Well, during that 18-month period that I was sitting on the Illinois Supreme Court, I authored 14 opinions, three dissents, and one special occurrence. But what I think the people in the community really need to understand is I am the person who's best qualified for the job. Why? First and foremost, I've got 45 years of appellate experience. Secondly, I've been a leader in the legal community. I've been president of the Cook County Bar Association, the oldest African-American bar association in the United States. Secondly, I was a co-founder of the Alliance of Bar Associations. The Alliance of Bar Associations was an organization set up to bring equity and fairness to the vetting or evaluation process for judges. I've also been a leader in the judicial community. I was the chairperson of the Illinois Judicial Council, and I was also the chairperson or chairman of the executive committee for the first district appellate court. I am the person who's got all the qualifications I've been sitting on the court for some 20 years. Finally, and most probably most importantly, I've been found highly qualified by four bar associations, by the Chicago Bar Association, by the Cook County Bar Association, by the Illinois State Bar Association, and by the Hispanic Lawyers Association. I think, in my opinion, if you evaluate the credentials of P. Scott Neville, Jr., the current resident of the Supreme Court, and the credentials of the other candidates, you will find that I am the best qualified. As Ms. Strasburg pointed out in her opening, all of the candidates had an opportunity to be considered for appointment to the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court chose me. All the candidates appeared before the Democratic Party Central Committee and asked for slating, but the Democratic Party chose me. I'd like to think that I was selected because of my 45 years of experience and because of the highly qualified ratings I've received from four bar associations. You know, my motto is let's keep the seat. We've got the seat. Let's keep the seat. So why should, why should voters care about this office? And a lot of people don't know what do you do there anyway. That's a very good question, Ms. Strasburg. There are three levels of courts in the state of Illinois. You have the circuit court, which is the trial court. The trial court is where criminal cases are heard, where divorce cases are heard, where collection cases are heard, where eviction cases are heard, where foreclosure cases are heard. If you dislike the decision you get in one of those courts, you can appeal to the appellate court. That's the next level of court. The appellate court is probably the court last resort because that's where most cases end. If you leave, don't like the decision you get in the appellate court, you can file what's known as a petition for leave to appeal and ask the Supreme Court to hear your case. The Supreme Court has got discretionary jurisdiction. That means we get to pick and choose which cases we want to hear. And the listening audience should understand that it takes four votes in, four, in order for the court to agree to hear your case. Just as it takes four votes to, for somebody to be appointed to the circuit court, the appellate court, or the Supreme Court, it takes four votes for the Supreme Court to agree to hear your case. But all cases start at the circuit court, and the Supreme Court makes the final decision. Now, this is what I want Cook County voters to understand. Your vote is like a lottery ticket. You can only cash it if you, if you go to the polls and vote. If you don't win, you can't win unless you play. If you want to win, if you want to decide who's going to sit in judgment of you, I recommend that you go to your polling place and cast a vote to make a decision about who's going to sit in judgment of you. You're more likely to come in contact with a judge than you are with a state rep or a state senator, with your governor, with a state a congressperson 
or a United States senator or with the president of the United States. If you go to traffic court, you're going to see a judge. If you go to eviction court, you're going to see a judge. If you go to collection court, you're going to see a judge. If you go to foreclosure court, you're going to see a judge. You're more likely to come in in contact with a judge. That's why all voters should go to the bottom of the ballot and make sure that you select the person that you want to sit in judgment of you. And, and, and Reverend, I'm sorry, but you're Reverend, Judge uh, Neville, just so on the case listeners um, have understanding and know how the ballot's going to look come March the 17th. It's going to be, what, three African-Americans running. You have um, a total of, I'm looking, you have a there are Jewish. Eight people, running. eight people running. You have a Jewish um, and also an Irish female and a Latino. That's Is that correct? correct. Okay. That's correct. There are eight people, seven people running against me. Five of those people presently sit on the appellate court. Two of the people are lawyers running for the Illinois Supreme Court seat. But this is a very important election. If you don't want that seat to remain in our community, then you shouldn't vote. If you want us to keep the seat, you've got to go and vote. So eight people are running. You're the eighth? or the uh, Yes, I am the eighth. So seven people are running against you. Seven people are running of against you. Of the seven, you. how many are African Americans? There are two other African Americans. I see. So um, do you have a fear of uh, splitting up the black vote and a white wins the election? I think that that's absolutely a possibility because there are three African-Americans in the race. I simply don't understand why they chose to challenge me. I was selected by the Supreme Court, slated by the party. They attempted to get those. They attempted to get the Supreme Court appointment and the endorsement of the party. They received neither. Nevertheless, they are continuing to pursue their runs for the office, knowing that the vote there are not enough votes for us to split it three ways. So my motto is to the community, let's keep the seat. Yeah, I'm really fearful of that because I know some prominent African Americans have said to me, there goes the seat. That they, they may be absolutely correct. We may lose the seat. Let me just give you a little bit of history. Last year, the Supreme Court, that's in 2018, the Supreme Court celebrated its 200th year. It took 172 years for, the, for an African-American to obtain a seat on the Illinois Supreme Court. Justice Freeman held that seat from 1990 until 2018 for some 28 years. In 2018, in June of 2018, I replaced it. And I will have to leave the seat if I'm not elected in December of 2020. We've got to keep the seat. It took us 172 years to get this seat. Why are we going to lose the seat? It simply does not make sense for us to compete against each other. Well, we've done that in a lot of races, especially the mayoral race, and we always lost. Um, that, I, I'm just that, that's correct. Well, I, I, I can only caution voters if they don't go to the polls and select a candidate. And, of course, I'm asking the voters to vote for me, P. Scott Neville Jr., the best qualified candidate. I think it goes without saying I'm the best qualified candidate because the other candidates don't even list their qualifications on their handouts on the literature that they're submitting to people. Don't be duped. Don't be hoodwinked. You've got to ask people what they've supported. And you see, notice what I said when I was talking to you about my qualifications for the office. I said I was the president of the Cook County Bar Association. During that time, I was one of the co-founders of the Alliance of Bar Associations. What was the purpose of the Alliance? to bring equity and fairness to the judicial evaluation process. But even before the alliance was formed in 1998, I was one of the advisors to the legislators that promulgated the sub-circuit legislation. The sub-circuit legislation culminated in the election of a number of African-American and Latino judges, and that is precisely the reason that we were able to elect Tim Evans as the chief judge. Keep in mind, you elected judges to the circuit court. Those judges elected Ch Chief Judge Tim Evans. 
All of these things are interconnected. But that's not the only thing that I've done. I've also been working for diversity during the entire time I've been on the court. You get diversity when you have a diverse process for evaluating judges. That's what I have done. You also get diversity when you advocate increasing the number of of African Americans, Latinos, Asians, and others on the court. Since I've been on the Supreme Court, there were two districts that did not have African Americans on their appellate courts when I arrived on the court. Now the the 5th District and the 2nd District now have African Americans. What the voters should understand is I have a record of bringing results. Ask the other candidates what they've done to benefit other people. The voters should also keep in mind that I'm not in this race to benefit myself. I'm not in this race to become the first. I'm not in this race just to prove that I can be elected. I'm in this race to make the legal system fair. That's been my life's work. That's what I've always worked for. I'm asking you to vote for P. Scott Neville for judge of the Supreme Court. I don't know that it's that difficult to follow in the the footsteps of the Supreme Court. They appointed me. To follow in the footsteps of the Democratic Party, they too appointed me because I was the best qualified candidate. I'm only asking the, the voters to follow in the footsteps of the of the Supreme Court and the Democratic Party that selected the best qualified candidate for the Illinois Supreme Court. That's irrespective of race, creed, color, gender, or sexual orientation. They selected the best qualified candidate. And I think the evaluations of the bar associations reflect the fact that they made an excellent decision. The Chicago Bar, the Cook County Bar, the Illinois State Bar, and the Hispanic Lawyers Association all found me highly qualified. Ask the other candidates what their evaluations are. It is not enough for candidates to go around and say, well, I'm qualified and I'm respected. Ask what their qualifications are and ask them to tell you what they've done to help people other than themselves. I have a record of helping other people. Okay, let's go to line one and talk to Jim. Hi, Jim. Hello. Hi, where are you today? I'm uh, in Elgin, enjoying the nice uh, warm weather. I can do some work outside a little bit. Okay, so you're not on on an island today? Nope, that'll be uh, Tuesday night I'll be in Honduras, but not on the island, just on the mainland. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, I'd like to uh, just remind you, I call about a different issue, but just to remind your guest, you know, when Ronner was governor, 600,000 people had signed a petition to have term limits put on, and that's the will of the people and was struck down by the courts. And this is one of the pre- reasons why a lot of people are skeptical of the judicial system, because a lot of times it's not what the people want. <clears throat> it's what, you know, kind of the, the, uh, the establishment wants. And we need term limits to get rid of the dead wood. And we have Mike Madigan as the poster child of what's wrong, and Illinois is really far behind because he's been speaker for all these years. But last week we were talking about some environmental issues, and you mentioned uh, the town of Pembroke, and I posted on your, your, your Facebook, I don't know if you saw that, where those cities in California are banning natural gas uh, installation in newer structures, yeah, which is really that. stupid. And, and then I'll put another thing on today about Al Gore. You know, all these people have been making all these doom and gloom predictions. You know, Time Magazine back in the 70s had a picture of the earth in a frozen sphere, because we weren't going to get the sun rays to the earth, and of course that was global cooling or freezing, that didn't work. Then it's global warming, but then it doesn't work either because it's all a ruse. And and now, you know, you've got people like Al Gore, he's got this big house, you know, he bought a home by the ocean, Obama's just bought one in Martha's Vineyard, and so all these people that are predicting all this doom and gloom want us to live a different lifestyle than they do themselves. And this is why these people shouldn't be listened to, and this is why people have to understand that the whole thing about global warming and we're killing the planet is all a bunch of garbage. It's meant to basically control your feelings. And they tried out these people like this Greta Thunberg lady from girl from Sweden. You know, it's it's just it's just people have to say, you know what, we're tired of being lied to. So what? This so is what, what these people so, are doing for all these so, years. So Jim, what is your opinion about the Illinois Supreme Court uh, race? Well, you know, I don't know much about it. I, I was kind of glad that. Uh, 
you know, the old Bear Thomas was on there. Um, but then when I heard that Ann, uh, what's his name, um, who was the alderman, that Burke, Ann Burke was going to be hard, head of the uh, the Supreme Court after her husband's problems, I thought that was kind of interesting. So, um, you know, I don't know much about the race events with it, but I'm saying this is why I mentioned before a lot of people sign these petitions for term limits, and the courts just say, you know, nope, your people aren't important. We're getting rid of it. Well, let, let, me address, let me address that question. That question was not presented to the court while I was sitting on the court. Even if it had been, I could not render an advisory opinion. You know, the people certainly have every right to bring that petition before the court a second time, and I'd simply recommend that you do that. But I'd ask you to go to my website, nevilleforjustice.com, and find out about me. All right. I'm you're a nice guy. I mean, you know, the thing is, is you're not going to see this happen under, under Jelly Belly, Prisker. You know, they like more government. They don't want to control the politicians. They want the politicians to control us, the people. And and you're, you're, you know, Ronner, when he was in his first two years, he had some vim and vigor, but then he kind of ran out of gas his last two years, and that's why we have the situation we're in. He was a very big disappointment because he came across as a real energetic guy, but then he got played by Madigan and all the boys in Springfield, and he walked away like a, a dog with his legs between his tails, or tail between his legs. <laughs> but, you know, I wish you luck. You know, I'll do some research well, and look you. at it. Thank you very much. I'd certainly like to have your vote. Thank you for well, I appreciate it. All right. Talk Thank to you next week. Thank you. Okay, so let's go back to the court, uh, Justice Neville. What kind of cases actually come before the Supreme Court? We hear the, a full panoply of cases. Any case that arises in the trial court, we can get it. Criminal cases, divorce cases, eviction cases, foreclosure cases. We hear the full range of cases if four judges agree to hear that case. And they come from all over the state. But as I indicated, the listening audience should understand that no case is heard by the Supreme Court unless four judges vote to hear the case. Right. So if you want to appeal from the lower court, you can appeal to the Supreme Court? No, you, you appeal from the lower court to the appellate court. You go the from the court. circuit court to the appellate court. And okay. the appellate court, if you have a final order, or certain interlocutory orders, which is an order, a case that is not yet final, they, the appellate court is required to hear those cases. You don't have to ask the appellate court for permission. Suppose I lose in the appellate court. Can I then appeal to the Supreme Court? You, you file what's known as a petition for leave to appeal. You have to ask the Supreme Court for permission to appeal to the court. We review the petition, and then the court votes. Each justice, each of the seven justices, unless a justice recuses, makes votes on whether or not we should hear the case. So what are my chances of winning? Well, it depends on how good your petition for leave to appeal is. It, it just depends on the case and how effective you are in presenting your arguments. You know, there's certain cases that we're supposed to he hear if there's a conflict with, a, if the appellate court makes a decision that's in conflict with another appellate court decision or in conflict with a Supreme Court decision, we're probably likely to hear that case. If it's a case of first impression or f it's a question the Supreme Court has never heard or considered before, you're probably going, we would probably take that case. But there are rules that govern the parameters that we act within. And you see, the other check is the fact that four justices have to agree. You know, one judge cannot simply say, I want to hear that case and it's heard. Four votes have to be cast to hear that case. Okay, let's go to line two. Uh, Lewis, are you there? Hello? Lewis, you're on the oh. air. Oh, Good, Good afternoon, afternoon. Good Good afternoon. afternoon and, and Happy New Year, by the way. And, and Happy New Year's to you, too. Thank you. Uh, my question is, we're trying to keep the seat, right, at uh, the Supreme Court seat? That's right. We're trying, let's keep the seat. We're trying to keep the seat. Okay, so, would, and we have three black candidates running, right? That's right. And, and if three black candidates run, that means that they're going to split the vote, right? I think that there's a substantial likelihood that that will occur, yes. So, so wouldn't it make sense for, uh, if we're trying to keep the seat, wouldn't it make sense for the three black candidates to sit down and decide which one, is, which one should run for that office and uh, the other two should support that other candidate 
so that we can keep the seat. Well, I'm not certain how that would take place, but since somebody's already in the seat, I don't see why we need to make a decision. The other two did not have to run. There, I am in the seat. I am qualified to be in the seat. Why do we need to have any discussion? Okay, so uh, if, if, what happens if uh, they split the vote, we lose the seat? What would happen to your position? Then I will have to retire, but the other two judges get to go back to their appellate court seats. They okay, have nothing they, to lose. Right. I'm the only and, one who has something to lose. If and, I lose, and, I'm out. I have. Right. I will no longer be on the court. Right, and, and, and so that's why I say uh, if we want to keep the seat within our community, somebody has to make a sacrifice for the good of the people. Well, I don't think that you're making a sacrifice if you aren't losing your job. I lose my, if I were to agree to what you just proposed, then I have to retire. So, so Judge Nabil, that's um, protocol? It's not yes. protocol. There's no seat for me to be in. If I agree to the proposal that the, that the listener is proposing to us, I would retire. I'm in the seat. If, right. they, if they agree, they don't have to do anything. They, they've got seats to return to. Win, lose, or draw, they still have seats. I'm the only one who loses a seat. Right, but we're trying to keep the seat within our community, right? I agree. So So, so we have the seat in our community. All we have to do is tell the other two that they need to go back to their appellate court seats until another Supreme Court seat opens up. See, that is the way I'd recommend that we do it. I should keep my seat. They should keep their seats, and when another Supreme Court position opens up, run for that seat. That's my recommendation. Let's keep the seat. Let's keep, I'll keep my seat. Let the two of them keep their seats. Let's keep the seat. That's what we should talk about. Let's keep the seat. Let's keep our seats. Again, on the case, listeners, the call-in number is 312-374-8130. I repeat, 312 312- Three seven four eight one three zero. So, tell us more about the kinds of cases. Well, <clears throat> I mean, what what is the biggest case you ever? That that's a very good question. The most important case I've heard to date is a case called People versus Buffer. In People versus Buffer, a young African American man who was fifteen, sixteen years old, committed a murder. He was given a life sentence. or he was given a sentence of 50 years. The case was presented to us as to whether or not a 50-year sentence is a de facto life sentence for a juvenile who was 16 years old at the time he committed the crime. The Illinois Supreme Court reviewed that case. We decided that a, a sentence in excess of 40 years for a juvenile is a de facto life sentence Therefore, we vacated Mr. Buffer's sentence and sent that case back for the case to be for his sentence to be reconsidered by the trial court judge that sentenced him. It's the most significant case I've worked on because I've been told that there are approximately 128 African-American and Latino men who will be impacted by that decision or will have their cases reconsidered. I think we should keep in mind that those are the kinds of decisions that I'm making, decisions that impact a lot of people. The other decision that I made that was probably very important is I had an opportunity, the Van Dyke case was presented to the court. And once again, it was a case that presented a sentencing question, whether or not Mr. Van Dyke received the appropriate sentence. The Supreme Court, my colleagues on the Supreme Court, voted not to take the case. I thought that that was a mistake, and just as I did on numerous occasions when I was on the appellate court, I filed a written dissent. If you go to the Supreme Court website, you can find my dissent in, in the Van Dyke case where I, ruled, where I argued that People versus Lee was the controlling decision, that People versus Lee held that if a defendant receives 
a conviction of aggravated battery with a firearm and a conviction of second-degree murder, the aggravated battery with a firearm is the more serious offense, and that's the offense he should be sentenced on. Mr. Van Dyke received a conviction of second-degree murder and aggravated battery with a firearm. Rather than following Lee, the trial court followed the dissent in Lee and sentenced him on on second-degree murder. That was in violation of Lee. That's why I I thought that the court should have heard the case, and we should have directed the trial court to follow Lee and sentence Mr. Van Dyke based on the aggravated battery with a firearm conviction. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, he didn't receive one aggravated battery with a firearm conviction. He received 16 aggravated battery with a firearm convictions. The minimum sentence for aggravated battery with a firearm is six years. The maximum sentence is 30. If he received a minimum sentence of six years on those 16 counts, that would have been 96 years. I thought the Supreme Court should follow Lee. It was our precedent. We did not follow it. The case was not heard. But the point I'm making to the listening audience is I'm willing to stand up when I think the court is not following its precedent. I think that this game, this legal game, should be played by one set of rules. Okay, let's go to line one, Frank. Frank, are you there? Yes, good afternoon, my sister, my brothers. Good afternoon, Frank. I'm highly impressed with what I heard. I don't think you have anything to worry about. Don't only get the groundwork going and get your message out. I'm personally going to make sure all my relatives know your name, my neighbors, my friends, and my associates and acquaintances. They all look to me because they know I'm paying attention. People, people need to remember, don't get scared about this fractured thing. Remember, look how many Afro-Americans we had running for mayor, okay? We had quite a few, didn't we? And it come down to two Afro-Americans. So we're not going to be that fractured as long as the person get their message out. I think it would be wise if you go visit the churches on the south side, the west side. I don't know how according to y'all with Willie Wilson, but they here. But I heard, and I think he made a darn good move by coming on this show right here, the WVON audience. We're going to help you get your message out. You are the man for the job. Well, and thank you very as, much. Jason, I, I, I'm highly impressed, but I wouldn't even be saying this. Since they know me. I, I live by my, my life by my name. I'm going to be Frank, and I'm going to tell it like it is. Well, okay? thank you, Frank. Let's keep the seat. <laughs> thank you so much. Let's go to line two, Bonnie. Bonnie, are you there? I'm here. Uh, yes, hi, uh, uh, Mr. Lavelle. I've heard of you over the years, and I think you deserve to stay in the seat because you're already there, you're doing the work, and you have the experience. Uh, my thing is they should, when they do the sentences for people, they should treat everybody the same. African Americans get more time than anybody, you know. Uh, they got a thing out now where they've charged a lot of people with sex offenders, even if they ain't do it. It's like if a child was in the room, and they did a home invasion. Uh, they charged these uh, inmates with uh, sex offenders. So that's that's just putting something on the on somebody that they didn't even do. It's just by the kids being present when they do a crime. Well, Bonnie, let me say this: I agree with you. We should follow the rules. We call them precedents that have been set down by the court. If we're not mm-hmm. going to follow those rules, I think we should change the rules. That's the thing that has always frustrated people in the African-American community, that the Mm -hmm. rules change when we become involved. I am for following the rules. I'm what's known as a strict constructionist judge. I want to follow the rules if there are rules. But thank you so much for the question, and I agree with you 100%. We must follow the rules and treat everybody fairly. And thanks for your call, Bonnie. Let's go to line three, John Steele. Is this the judge still? Yes, it is. How you doing, Shanta? Fine. How are you? Okay, let me say that I'm one of the few people who have worked for all three candidates. Those of you part of the VON family, I was a judge for over 17 years, and I was on the, the city council as alderman of the 6th Ward for nine years, and I was also a um, Democratic Independent Committeeman for eight years also. And I know all of the candidates quite well, and let me say this, let's not let history repeat itself. I know all three candidates, 
none of them can hold a, a stick to Scott and the Bill. Scott and the Bill is by far the better candidate. He's been involved in the African American community. He's been involved. He's been involved in the African American bar associations. Not only not only citywide, but statewide and countywide. And he has done more to help African Americans become judges than probably anyone now who's around who's on the bench. Let me also say that you had a caller who raised a very important point. He said, why don't the three of you sit down and talk about this? And in one sense, that's already been done. Scott was the only candidate that we knew was being considered who said that if he, if anybody black was appointed by Freeman, either of the other candidates or anyone else who was black, then he was not going to run because he was not going to split the votes. The other candidates, none of them said that. They were saying that they should get it, they should get it. And Scott stood up like a man and said, if anybody gets it black, I'm not going to fight them because it's more important for us to keep the seat than to be fighting against one another. And I think it takes just a man of great integrity to make a statement like that. And I'm so glad that he got the seat that I don't know what to do. But I'm going to tell you, he is a good guy. If you look at his rulings, you look at his decisions, you look at his background, they can't hold a stick. Now, when I turned on this program, I was of the impression that all three candidates were going to be there. And I wanted to hear what they all had to say sitting in the same room. I am not surprised that they're not there because for them to be there would probably be an embarrassment if they had to try to stand up to Scott with his background and his experience. Well, um, Judge Steele, Cynthia Cobbs has just arrived. She'll be in the room in just a few seconds. And uh, Cynthia Cobbs is a judge for the 1st District 3rd Division of the Illinois Appellate Court. She assumed office on September 22, 2011. Her current term ends on December the 6th, uh, 20... Oh, she, it's over. Uh, December the 6th. Oh, no. Her current term ends on December 6, 2020. And Cobbs is running for election for the first district judge of the Illinois Supreme Court. She'll be in in a few minutes. In the interim, we're going to talk to Mama D on line one. Well, Mama let me D? say this. I want to thank Justice Steele for calling. I, of course, I agree with everything he said. I concur. <laughs> we worked on the same panel when we were on the appellate court, and we often concurred with each other. All right. So uh, while we're waiting for Judge uh, Cobbs to come in, Mama D on line one, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Two questions. Everybody on the planet has to uh, have a passport to visit other countries. And uh, America has laws of interest, and uh, but legal, uh, illegal, and they have a legal way to enter this country. Yet border breakers can come in based on privilege, be given a, a reparations de- a dream act, development, release, and education for alien minors under the age of 31, exemption from any crime that's not federal, and, and uh, amnesty uh, from student loans and student debt. I'd like to know, uh, they, they are therefore above the law. I'd like to know how you feel about that. And also, number two, uh, uh, people of color, uh, implies that there's somebody that does not have a color. When I was a little girl, I didn't appreciate segregation, all being segregated out of the human family because my skin was black. And uh, how do you justify a freezing white people out of the human family because their skin is white? This is uh, reverse segregation. And how do you? What do you think about that? All right. Let me say this in terms of the immigration questions. I I cannot comment because the a justice on the court cannot render an advisory opinion. With respect to treating white people differently, I think you've misunderstood. My motto is very much like Martin Luther King's. Martin Luther King said, the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. My moral arc also bends towards justice. In fact, my guiding star is the equal protection provision of the 14th Amendment. I am as interested in protecting the rights of whites as I am in protecting the interests of blacks. That's why I base my 
moral compass on the 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause, which means that you treat everybody equal. So thank you very so, much for that question. So and why I cer- is the terminology people of color used if everybody has a color? Well, let me just say this. The people of color in this country, as you're aware, are the people who usually are disenfranchised and are not treated fairly. The rules are different. And I am trying to make sure that we always follow the rules irrespective of color. Okay. Thank you so much, Mama D. Thank you, Mama D. And uh, we're going to end this interview and uh, appreciate your coming in, uh, Justice Neville Scott P. Scott, Jr. Okay. And I also want to iterate that all the candidates were not scheduled to be here today. They weren't on the program today. It wasn't, it wasn't any type of um, scheduling concerning all three candidates. Um, you were scheduled to come today, and we appreciate you coming as well, as well as Cobbs. But this, this show itself, all the candidates were not slated or scheduled to be on the show or on the case today. And I would love to have that uh, one day before the election, too. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Judge Neville. Yes. So um, while the other candidate is coming in, uh, um, Kent, what do you think about this election? You know, I think this this election, as well as Judge Neville coming today, it's uh, informative. Um, This election is people get a chance to get educated on on the candidates. So that's the opportunity we wanted to um, to assure the on-the-case listeners to get a chance to hear the uh, candidates speak on the show. Mm-hmm. But once again, Shantos, I just stated to um, to the, the, the caller just called, Judge Steele, and other callers, other um, listeners, the other candidates were not scheduled to be on the show today. They were not scheduled. Right. Well, we're going to try to make that happen. We're going to try to make that happen because I think it's important for the, our listeners to hear all three of them in the same room. Um, I'm going to try very hard to make that happen, make that a reality. And a lot of people don't know what the Illinois Supreme Court does um, because it doesn't affect them their lives every single day. So um, is she coming in? She's, she's, coming, she's in. coming in. So entering the studio is... Judge Cynthia Cobbs, she is, uh, as I said before, she's a judge for the first district third uh, for the first district third division of the Illinois Appellate Court. She assumed office on September twenty second, twenty eleven. Her current term ends on December sixth, twenty twenty, and she is running for election for the first district judge of the Illinois Supreme Court. We don't have too much time, so please tell us, uh, Judge uh, Cobbs. Who are you and why should voters vote for you? Good afternoon and thank you so very much for welcoming to the show and I appreciate the clarification with respect to the invitation. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Hensley, for that. This uh, was an opportunity, as I understood, to have a one-on-one conversation with Ms. Strasburg and so I'm happy to be here. That is correct. Thank you so much. Uh, I am a justice on the First District Appellate Court and I am one of three African-American candidates running for state Supreme Court. Uh, I have had the privilege of working for the Illinois courts for more than 30 years. So I am a first-generation lawyer and a first-generation judge um, in my family. There are no lawyers. There are no judges. My father was a Baptist pastor. My mom was a high school-educated housewife. So I began my uh, judicial or my legal career actually working in the First District Appellate Court. And in 1989, I was invited by Justice Charles E. Freeman to serve as his appellate court law clerk. And then when he ascended less than a year later to the Illinois Supreme Court, I was invited to be his senior judicial law clerk on the Supreme Court. I want to make clear about what the full scope of work of the Illinois Supreme Court is. Yes, the Illinois Supreme Court is a court of last resort, a reviewing court, but the Supreme Court, unlike the circuit court and unlike the appellate court, has responsibility to run the entire judicial system, the entire court system in the state of Illinois. I have been privileged to serve as a law clerk, as a circuit court judge, 
as a Supreme Court law clerk and now and also as a director of the Illinois courts, working closely with the seven Supreme Court justices to carry out that court's constitutional mandate, not only to hear a small percentage of cases, but also to run the court system. So for nine and a half years, I served as the court's administrative director. I've probably worked at every level of the court system uh, that there is to work on. So while others might tout their uh, legal experience or even their judicial experience, there is not one who has served with the Supreme Court for nine and a half years to run the court system. So I bring a unique set of qualifications to uh, this candidacy. Uh, having served both as a law clerk, as a circuit court judge, and as a director of the courts, having also worked with the seven justices extensively on every aspect of court administration, I'm uniquely qualified and have the experience that matters to serve as a justice on the Supreme Court. Okay. And um, you, I don't know if you heard the previous um, conversations about the possibility of losing that seat because there are three blacks vying for it. I have heard that narrative, and I suspect that uh, the other two African-American candidates, as well as the other candidates uh, who are not of color, have heard the narrative. Of course, there is uh, there are three of us who are running, and we anticipate that the voters throughout the uh, county of Cook will do their due diligence. We'll look at all of the experience and the qualifications, but not looking at them in a vacuum, but we'll also give careful attention to what the work of the Supreme Court is, and based on the work of the court and the experiences that they will choose the correct candidate. In Illinois, we are privileged to elect our judges. That is why the appointees made by the court serve for only an interim period. It is because it is the right and the responsibility and also um, the care given by the voters in uh, the state of Illinois, and in this case, County of Cook, to decide who their elected officials will be. Not just six or seven people sitting in a room, but the whole county gets to decide who will serve and who will best serve their purposes sitting on the Illinois Supreme Court. Okay. And so you've been a judge for how many years now? I was first appointed to the circuit court in 2011. Uh, At that time, then Chief Justice Thomas Kilbride made a nomination to the full court to uh, appoint me to a vacancy on the circuit court in Cook County. I uh, served in that vacancy, and in 2014, I was overwhelmingly elected to serve as a circuit court judge. In 2014, having won that election, then Charles Just- Justice Charles Freeman nominated my, me to the uh, justices on the Supreme Court to have me serve in the appellate court. So I've been serving now since 2011. Justice Freeman served as an appellate court judge from, I believe, 1986 to 1990. Uh, I have served from an, as an appellate court judge now from 2015 to the current time. And I, like Justice Freeman, am now seeking an elevation to the Illinois Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And then why exactly do you want to be on the Supreme Court? I bring the qualifications, and I believe that having served both in the uh, capacity of looking at cases, coming to the Supreme Court as a Supreme Court judicial law clerk, and having served as a director for nine and a half years, I can add the necessary value to the work of the court. We talk a lot about access to justice, and indeed that is continuing a critical issue for the court and all courts in the state of Illinois. Many off, many times we see coming into the circuit courts people who are of African-American descent or people of color, and they don't necessarily have the necessary resources to have their cases properly presented. I believe that the Supreme Court is the only court that can provide the necessary resources and tools to ensure access to justice for every litigant coming into that court system. And having served as the director, I certainly know how to marshal those resources and to present those issues both to the court and to the legislative branch uh, if we need to have funding or legislation presented for that purpose. Now, being a woman, are you going to rely on the women to put you in office? I'm going to rely on every educated, intelligent uh, voter in the county of Cook. Okay, well, that's, that's a good answer. That's the right answer. <laughs> and also the only answer. Yeah, Bio, you are, you are PK? I am uh, the eighth-born child of a Baptist pastor. 
Um, my father, Reverend Samuel Moore, passed away in 2011, having pastored uh, a small church in Maryland for, I'm going to say, about 45 years. Um, my mom, who is 95 years of age, continues to attend that church in Maryland. Wow. And so um, we recently lost one of the nine, another of the nine, and so we are now a family of seven. But yes, I'm a PK. I'm a preacher's kid, and most churches can tell that I am when I get up to make my remarks. <laughs> So you were born in Maryland. I was born and raised in Maryland. Mm-hmm. I went to the Maryland schools. I went to a historically black college, Morgan State College uh, in Maryland. I got my master's in clinical social work from the University of Maryland. And then when I moved here to Illinois, I continued to work uh, in the social work field in private adoptions and foster care, mm-hmm. uh, and then subsequently got my law degree, and that's what began my work with um, the Illinois court system. Okay. So uh, give us a wrap-up as to why uh, voters should vote for you. This is Justice uh, Cynthia Cobbs. Thank you so very much. And and what Y stands for what? Yvonne. That's what I thought. Ah, yeah. Easy, easy, easy read. Yvonne or Yolanda, but it's Yvonne. Uh, I am the only candidate who brings both the skill set, the knowledge, the experience to do the work that is the work of the Supreme Court. When working for Justice Freeman, I worked on more than 30 opinions collaboratively with him. I reviewed the most complicated and complex cases, and I did that for seven and a half years. Beyond that, I worked for nine and a half years with the Supreme Court in exercising or in uh, administering and supervising the court system. I have the collective knowledge and experience to serve on the Supreme Court. I am the most qualified, notwithstanding. We're all good judges, but only one of us has administered the court system, which is the work of the Supreme Court. Okay. Thank you, Judge Cobbs. So, and when is the election? The election, again, is March 17, 2020. Okay. So, um, Justice, I call you Justice, right? That's what we're called at the appellate in the Supreme Court. Level. All right. So, Justice um, Cobbs. Cynthia Cobbs, Cynthia Y. Cobbs, uh, good luck in your run, and I hope we we can agree to all three of them being in the same room to talk. Well, I soon. Certainly, I certainly think we can. There is a level of civility that is expected among lo- lawyers and judges, and uh, I've not conducted myself in any other means. And so I look forward to a time when the three of us, uh, if you invite us, are in the same room and can have a reasonable and civil debate. And, and again, I thank you for coming on the show as well. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And I'm going to work on getting all three of you in here. Thank you. So, Kent, uh, you want to say something? Do you have an announcement for us? Just wrap it up. Again, um, the other candidate will be on the show in the future. Yes. Look forward to having him on the show. And um, today was a great show. 